Well, I need to tell you all Happy New Year and Happy Twelfth Day of Christmas. For those of you who know the church calendar, you'll know that today is Epiphany, the day in which uh, the church historically celebrates the arrival of the Magi to worship the Lord Jesus. Well, uh, I'm glad for church history. I'm glad for all the richness that God has lavished upon us as his people. In keeping with the um, assessment from CB Northwest, we are beginning to work more deliberately through some of the recommendations. The relational discipleship is one of those. Another one is that uh, we come to align ourselves much better with what God's purpose is for the church. Now, that doesn't mean that things are bad, but it means that we need to have a checkup. A healthy person goes for periodic checkup and then does what the doctor recommends, right? A healthy church, likewise, gets a checkup every now and then. So today we're going to begin a series in the book of Titus. Uh, Paul's letter to a pastor that Paul worked with, Paul trusted, and Paul sent on a special mission uh, to help a group of churches get better alignment with God's purpose, with God's agenda. This little book of Titus gives us a very good blueprint for that very thing. Uh, We'll work our way through the book of Titus up until about Resurrection Sunday. And as we do so, I hope you'll be paying attention for what the Holy Spirit has to say to you. You see, when we come to God's Word, it's never just an intellectual exercise. It needs to be soul work, where we work with loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, and then come to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's what Jesus wanted us to do. Well, there are some questions that need to be answered, and the book of uh, Titus does this for us. For instance, what does God say he looks for in the leadership of his church? Why does God give very specific instructions regarding the core teaching that goes on in his church? How does God want generations and genders to interact and strengthen and unify his church? What does God want us to know and believe about him? What purpose does God have for the individuals who make up a local church? What does God do to fulfill our personal desire to have our life count for his glory and for the eternal good of others? Well, in this little letter of Titus, Paul gives us, by the Holy Spirit, some straightforward answers that we will do well to pay heed to. As I mentioned before, the Lord Jesus taught us that the greatest thing that we can do is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Now, how do you love God with your mind? How do you love God with your mind? Well, it has to do with how do you think about God? How do you speak about God? How do you talk to yourself about who God is? It reveals a lot about 
who we are as individuals. Um, As I was working on this idea of aligning ourselves with God, um, I had this interesting recollection of a comedy that I experienced that could easily have become a serious tragedy. While I was in seminary, I was working with a crew of guys framing houses. And it worked out that one time we were pretty well into building the house we were working on when a crew showed up to start on the house next door in the next lot. And so as they got into it, we had a little repartee back and forth with them, and we would give them a bad time, they would give us a bad time, and as things progressed, we began to notice that these guys were skipping some of their very necessary parts of building, and especially as they began to get all the walls up. We could see that the back outside wall had a huge bow in it, and it bowed way out from the building. Other walls were really not lined up, and where things were supposed to be square, they were just sort of jammed together. So our boss went over and talked to them one day and said, "Um, you guys apparently are beginners, and so let me give you some clues on how to make this structure better. And they assured him that they knew what they were doing and that we ought to mind our own business. And so we did. But we watched with humor and interest to see what was going to become of this uh, house that they were building. And we began to surmise, uh, oh no, those poor people that are going to buy that house, how long will it even hold together? Well, they discovered the problem the day that the roofing trusses arrived. The truss truck rolled up and undid the crane and began to set these huge trusses up on their framing. One of the guys noticed as they were trying to get the trusses into place, he said, hey, these trusses are too short. Well, no, they weren't. The wall bowed out too far. They had a serious problem. And that's when it became dangerous with all this weight of the trusses up there and things weren't straight and lined up and so forth. And so uh, for the rest of the day, they did a lot of hard, dangerous work trying to get things a little bit more true and straight the way they ought to be. Well, when we showed up to work the next day, lo and behold, uh, this big heavy beam that goes across the the two-door garage entry, this huge massive beam had fallen. So they knew they were in trouble and were willing to admit it. And so our boss and one of the guys on the crew went over and spent the rest of the morning helping those guys get things straight, get them plumb vertically, uh, get them lined out so they were straight, help them do what they could to square up the walls that were a little bit out of alignment. And uh, they were grateful. And we were glad because no tragedy had happened. Vertical alignment matters, and especially when we're talking about spiritual things, things that will last forever, a lot longer than any house, our soul will last forever. A very sobering statement that I heard one time is that you are 
an eternal soul in God's universe. And there's nothing you can do about that fact. You are an eternal soul. So what is your relationship with God? How are we lined up with him vertically? And I want you to, to listen and think along with me as we look at four verses in a brief little introduction here uh, to this book of Titus. Before we jump in, uh, let's ask God's help. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made yourself known to us. Thank you, O God, that you did not just hide. You're otherwise invisible to us, and yet as we look at the things you have made, uh, we are driven to admire and be in awe of you. We begin, as the songwriter uh, penned those powerful words, we begin to sing from our soul how great you are. We thank you that you have made yourself known to us, that you tell us how you think about us, that you help us by your Holy Spirit to learn to think the truth about you. And as we do that, we ask, Father, that you would bring us into better alignment vertically with how we think about you and come to terms and appreciation and a a deep sense of security in understanding better how you think about us. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, what do you think about God? You have a little place on your note taker there to jot some things. And as we go through, um, I want you to just pay attention to what the Lord might mention to you as something for you. In speaking to a well-educated audience like you all, I'm going to say a lot of things that are obvious that you already well know. But it's very likely there might be some things come up that you hadn't thought about or haven't thought about for a while. And today we're doing mind work. So ask God to keep your mind, your thoughts focused on his word and listening for what his spirit highlights for you. What do you think of God? A.W. Tozer, one of the most Uh, ardent spokesman for the holiness of God in the 20th century, uh, makes this provocative claim in his powerful little book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He says, What comes into your minds when you think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Well, the Holy Spirit, speaking through the Apostle Paul, gives us some infallibly reliable ways to think straight about God. So if you have your Bibles open to Titus, I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. And I want you to follow along and pay attention to what the Spirit is saying here. This just isn't some man, Paul, writing to a friend of his, Titus. This is the Holy Spirit speaking 
to us, the church, today. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, and the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Now what does the Holy Spirit reveal to us here about ways that we need to think about God. Well, when we read Paul saying that he identifies himself as a bondservant, a slave of God, what does that tell you about God? God is our master. He rightly owns us. And by virtue of being our master... He can direct us. And because he is a good and loving master, he directs us in work and in activities that bring honor and glory to him. That's why it's so important to acknowledge and know him, to think about him as our master. Another way is to think about, well, who's in charge? Wherever we go, that's something that we're always trying to sort out in our social interactions. Who's in charge here? Well, God is in charge for Christians, and he gives us ways of interacting with people that will bring glory to him and blessing to us. Another thing we see about uh, God is that God sends his messengers with good news. This is what the Spirit is indicating regarding Paul when he calls him an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle simply is one specifically sent to deliver a message. It's analogous to what we would call a missionary nowadays. Now, of course, the term apostle was used in a technical sense to refer to the 12 specifically chosen by Christ, but In ordinary usage of the term, Paul was not ashamed to acknowledge not only is God his master, but God has sent him. God has sent him with a message. We also see that God is the kind of a being who chooses those that he wants to be his own. Paul says that he is a servant, an apostle of Jesus for the faith of those chosen of God. Do you think of God as God who has a right to choose who belongs to him? Well, that's who he is. And I just have to say, I really appreciate so many of the songs that we sang, but there was a line in one of those songs that says, that's just the way it is. That's the truth. That's just the way it is. If you don't understand and think about God as a God who chooses people to come and belong to him, then you need to get your thinking aligned a little bit. 
Now this subject of election and all of that can cause a lot of problems if you don't just yield to God and say, well, that's just the way it is. But then once we do that, we begin to discover the glories of that. One of my sisters for years argued with God about this whole subject of election. And so I finally just quit arguing with her And I said, you know, Lorna, you're just going to have to ask God. Well, she phoned me long distance from South Carolina, where they live, and she said, you know, the sovereign choosing of God has become to me the most comforting truth in all of Scripture. Well, how is that? Well, because she got aligned with what God says is really true about him. And then she put herself in line with what God is doing in her life and his God's choice and love for her. Another thing that we learn about God here is that he reveals truth to us that is in agreement with godliness. Now notice how Paul expresses this by the Holy Spirit. He says that God wants us to have the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness. Now he's talking here about the knowledge that comes by experience and this knowledge by experiencing the truth of God results in a change of character in us. It accords with godliness. Godliness is simply the the character and conduct that's in keeping with the character and person of Jesus Christ. And so God wants us to think that way about him, that the truth he gives us is for the purpose of making us more and more like the Lord Jesus. Now, wouldn't you like to be like the Lord Jesus? It's hard to talk to a real Christian, but what they eventually will say, you know, that's a deep longing I have. Well, God sees to it that that desire can come to pass when we get in alignment with him. This truth and godliness in alignment makes a huge difference. And then he wants us to lay hold of eternal life here and now. This is the God who promised uh, before he created anything. He made a promise that he was going to give us eternal life. And he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be his special people. Now, if that doesn't do something for you, I don't know what will, because uh, that's uh, a glorious truth to get under that reality and to think straight about God, that he has loved you before the foundation of the world. Notice what he says here in verse 2. He's called us to the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. This is literally the not lying God. God will never, ever mislead us. We may get off the track, but it's because of our not paying attention to God. God will never mislead us. God never lies to us when he tells us this is the right way to live. He never lies to us when he is telling us This is how to enjoy blessed relationships with other people. God is not lying when he talks to us about issues of marriage and the family. 
God never lies to us. And so there's no reason to quibble with God. When we come into something that we're having a hard time with, we want to line up with God and remember, ooh, this is the God that doesn't lie. So when he tells me to do or not do something, he knows the real scoop on this and the way of blessing is to just trust him and do what he says because he is the God who cannot lie. He makes his promises and he keeps his promises. Again, <laughs> touching from the touching on one of the choruses we were singing. I sometimes I I've already said this. I'm going to say it again. I would like to sing some of these songs after we look at the Word of God sometimes. We sang today that God is unstoppable. When God promises, He delivers. Nothing can frustrate fulfilling of His promise. We see in verse 3 that He fulfilled this at the proper time. That's a real interesting little word that the Holy Spirit prompted Paul to use there. It was in Paul's vocabulary and and. Paul needed a precise way to say what the Spirit was prompting him to write down. So he he used this special little word that's not just time as unfolding in a sequence of events. He uses a word that means a time which describes something unique when God acts. God does something. How many of you here have experienced... God doing something in your life. Have you? Do you believe that God created something brand new when he gave you new life? Well, that's what he says. He promised to do that. And he can keep his promise because of who he is. We need to think about God as the God who fulfills his promises. And long time doesn't mean anything to him. It may get... Make us nervous, but that's no problem to God. He keeps his purpose, his promises right on time. We know that God is eternally existent because the Spirit tells us here that we live in hope of eternal life. This God who cannot lie promised to give us eternal life before the beginning of of time. Well, that means he must be eternal himself. This is part of what it is to think in Scripture and to think what is going on here, not just on the surface, but to think about it, to use our minds to love God for who he is revealing himself to be. So he is the author of eternal life. Now, have you ever wondered why God wants to give us eternal life? Well, you say, yes, we can go to heaven and live with him forever. Well, yes, but the eternal life he's offering starts the instant you turn yourself over to Jesus. In other words, you're living an eternal life right now, and you need to be aware of it. This eternal life that God gives us is specifically so that we can know him. We are finite creatures. How can we know an eternal, infinite being? Well, we have to be given a new kind of life so that we can begin to interact with him in the way that he has designed for us to know him. Jesus prayed this, 
This is life eternal, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Here's one that blows my mind when we take a look at this. He says that uh, Paul says that he was entrusted with proclaiming this wonderful good news. Hmm. What does that tell you about God? Well, it tells me that God is willing to trust us. (laughs) Are we trustworthy? Are we flaky? Do we ever get it wrong? Yes. Well, then why would God trust this life-giving, life-transforming message to puny people like us? Well, because he gives us his spirit and he makes us willing and able to do his will. He makes us trustworthy as we grow with Christ. Is Jesus trustworthy? Absolutely. Does God want us to become trustworthy? Absolutely. And so this is all part of uh, how we need to think about God because of the way that he thinks about us. Then we know that he reveals himself as our Savior. I like the way that this comes up in the book of Titus. In fact, as you read through this little book, you can read through it easily in under 20 minutes if you read out loud and slow. Um, He keeps bringing this up. Notice the end of verse 3. He says, God, our Savior. At the end of verse 4, he refers to God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Well, who's the Savior? Well, he or God in Trinity is our Savior. And we need to think of him that way. He is the one who rescues us out of the devastation of this fallen world. You see, our salvation is not just about getting our sins forgiven so we can go to heaven when we die. It's about entrance into this vibrant life relationship day to day with the creator God who loves us. And he wants us to be with him, so he has removed every obstacle. Our sin, no problem. He took care of that. Our day-to-day struggles with life and sin around us and within us, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us forgiveness. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to think. He gives us his word. He gives us other people in the body of Christ. You see, God has purposed for us to be saved, not just from our sin, but to be saved through this life in a fallen world and to come into the glorious finality of our salvation with him in the new heaven and new earth. We see that God reveals and wants to be thought of as the perfect father. I remember getting into a little uh, tete-a-tete with uh, a guy in the relational elder training. He said, well, shouldn't we think of God as feminine also? I said, well, where do you get that idea? He said, well, it's kind of a popular thing going around now. And I said, well, what does the Bible say? God reveals himself as Father. 
God didn't make that up after the human family. In fact, we're told in Ephesians 3 that the human family exists like it does because of who God is. He is the Father. He always refers to himself by masculine pronouns and so forth. So let's give up that quibble there and just align with who God reveals himself to be. He is the perfect Father. And if our Father has not lived up to everything we hoped, God certainly is that perfect Father. Well, what do you think about God? How does your thinking align with what we've been looking at? Then I want to ask real quickly, uh, what does this reveal about how God thinks about you? How does God think about me? Well, let's look at it going backwards a little bit. In verse 4, says, This is to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. God thinks that you and I need grace and peace. And we need lots of it. Because it keeps coming up over and over in Scripture. He is the God of grace and peace. Grace is much more than some kind of a cosmic credit card that we can use to sin without any consequence. Uh Uh-uh. Sin always has a consequence, okay? God will forgive us the guilt and the penalty, but we get to bear the consequence. Sort of like my granddad used to tell us. (laughs) He said, I can tell you don't sit on the hot stove, but if you do, then you get to sit on the blister. Well, that's just kind of the way things work in God's order of, of things. But God knows that we need grace. So he doesn't give us just a a get-home-free card when he gives us his grace. His grace is really his power working in us that make us willing and able to do his will. That's why the Holy Spirit is called, in Hebrews, the Spirit of grace. God gives us grace in abundance. And the more we walk with God, the more grace we need. I like what one of my favorite teachers said, (laughs) that a growing Christian burns grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. You see, we need grace to live this glorious life that God has called us into here and now, because we can't do it on our own. So let's think about ourselves the way God does. We can't do it without him, so he gives us grace. As we go along in this fallen world, we're going to run into all kinds of trouble. We're going to get ourselves into trouble. Trouble's going to come to us. And so he gives us his peace. This peace, this Hebrew term shalom. Everything is as it ought to be because of who God is. So you think about your, what is it that's bothering you today? What's bothering you? Well, put that in alignment with who God says he is. And God wants to give you peace even in what's bothering you. So just trust it over to him. Well, there are a lot of other things that God thinks about us. For instance, he thinks we need a savior. (laughs) So he steps in. 
He's the only one that can do it. He has the perfect plan. Only he can pull it off. God thinks that you and I can be trusted with his living, transforming message. God really thinks that. That's why he gives it to us. That's why he encourages us to share it with others. Because God knows the power of his word. God doesn't trust the power of our word all that much, but he knows the power of his word. And so he trusts it to us. We become trustworthy as we live this life more and more in alignment with God. He thinks that you and I can actually become godly. You ever get frustrated in your attempts at godliness? I do. A lot of times I've kind of put it like this. Talking to God, I'll say, God, I wish you had a sanctification stick that you could just give me a good whack with it and it'd be over with. I'd be done. I'd be holy. Well, God doesn't do it that way. But he does have a perfect way of building godliness, bringing out the character of Christ in us. If we believe who he is, trust what he says, and depend upon his power to just do what he says in our lives. God thinks that you and I can actually become godly. Now, (laughs) that's good news for me, because that's what I want to be. And I've yet to meet a Christian that if they had their druthers, they'd rather be holy than unholy. As we come to the Lord's Supper here in a minute, um, we're going to have to address this issue of uh, what do you do with your sin? Well, part of the glory of this regular celebration is it's an occasion when God calls us to remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He deals with our sins. So we just need to be honest, get in alignment with what he says. Yeah, I've sinned. Okay, we'll get over here. He's willing to forgive me for all that Christ has done. So why should I not be in alignment with that? God also wants us to be in right relationships with one another. So, If you're having a problem with somebody and it's something you need to deal with, just go ahead and take care of it. There's no reason to put it off. God wants you to be holy. He's given you everything necessary for life and godliness. And so these are things that you need to think about. Don't just let them go off as, well, that was a a talk. Commercial was a little long, but we finally got out of there. No, this is God's word for you, God's word for me. So I want to ask you to just take a few seconds now and write down one thing God has made you aware of today. Maybe it's something about the way you think about him. You need to get that straight, or you need to add that feature in. Maybe it's understanding about the way God thinks about you. You know, God really loves you. In fact, to put it in a vernacular, God is wild about you. I love what one of my favorite songwriters, Michael Card, said. He 
cannot love you more. And he will not love you less. Because that's who he is. And that's who we are. By grace in Jesus Christ. So you write down one little thing. You got it? Maybe you want to keep it secret. Well, be sure that you let God know, because he already knows. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to just quietly, prayerfully, thank God for bringing this truth to your awareness so that you can be vertically aligned with him for his glory. Thank you, Heavenly Father, God, our Savior. Thank you, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you, Holy Spirit, Spirit of grace. We are here before you today to ask you to quicken our thinking so that we can go about our day-to-day life loving you with our mind, to turn our thoughts to you, to have our thoughts aligned with the way you think about us, the way you want us to think about you. We ask this in your great name, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.